Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B. And I'm Jacob. And thank you for joining us on this episode where we'll be reviewing Evolution and Evolution Flight. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing lately. So, Jacob, uh, I know the semester started back up, which means our favorite board game club is starting to meet again on Saturday nights. Yep, and past Saturday uh, was the first time we got back into it. It was a lot of fun, as, as usual. We actually even had an event a little bit earlier, a week before, where we got to teach some party games to some new people. That's right, I heard that went well. Yeah, it did. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I actually got to teach a few, few new games, new to them anyway. First, I got them hooked with cash and guns, because how can you resist having right. foam guns and pointing them at your friends? And really, party games are the gateway drug of board games, let's be honest. Pretty much. It's, if you have those, they're very light, they're very fun. I started with Cash and Guns, moved to But Wait, There's More, which is always one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. It's the game where you're pretty much Billy Mays and you get to make up all these hilarious products and try to sell them to each other. And I finished up with Snake Oil, which is a game that's very similar along the same lines. The difference being that you have a certain type of persona that you're selling to. So, Greg, if you were playing, you could be a caveman or a you know, beauty queen or a fashion model or something along those lines. Okay, okay. So a little bit more specific in terms of the target audience. Yes. So the way that it works is, but wait, there's more. You have a specific product that you're trying to make uh, with certain traits. Whereas Snake Oil, you have uh, more like Cards Against Humanity. You have a certain number of cards in your hands. You take two of them in order to make a product that you think will sell towards a, to a person. So they're very similar games a little bit of a different feel but I like them both quite a bit and I think that at least a few of the people that I've played with that evening actually came to Gamers on Saturday so right it was a really good turnout I was excited to see we had probably I don't know 30 plus people which is good and I'm sure the attrition will start to set in but it's a good way to start the semester one of the games that we got to play the other night was Mystic Veil uh, one of our favorites from last week's podcast Uh, we were able to introduce that to some of our friends Mm -hmm. they loved it as well I think we're all really excited to see what comes out of the next card crafting system game yeah so. and even until then this game is going to definitely keep us you know very happy with a deck building game i think this is probably going to be my favorite deck building game that i've played to or played in a long time it's definitely going to go on my short list mm-hmm. i actually got to play a game that i've been looking forward to playing for a while at a gamers yesterday and that was bang the dice game Right, I remember you've been talking about this, and it's it's essentially an iteration, a variation of the ever-popular Bang the Card game, correct? It is, it is. There is a few really cool rules that are different, so it's a much lighter game. Lighter, faster, it just goes by a lot quicker. And the way that it happens, rather than having a hand as you do in Bang, you always roll five die. And those five dice, you can uh, re-roll two more times. That will tell you who you can shoot and everything like that. So you can shoot more than one person, unlike Bang. So you can have three, four, five, six times like people getting shot in one person's turn. So it can go really quickly. And the fun part is that like the life, uh, lives go up, down, and like things just happen really quickly. It has a lot less strategy, I think, than Bang does, because Bang definitely has the collecting the card and, you know, I'm going to use this at this point, and I'm still trying to be a little bit hidden before I start shooting at the sheriff and that kind of stuff. But I I did like where it was going, and I think that if I wanted a very much lighter and quicker version of Bang, this would definitely be it, because I think the, uh, the actual game of Bang can be 
slightly longer, a little bit more tedious. But, right, right. Um, we can call this the shootout to bang standoff. Exactly, exactly. I, I would say that that's a great description. It was a lot of fun. I quite enjoyed it. And have you been playing anything cool? Yeah, we actually got a chance to play another round of Arboretum, yeah. which is one of my, not favorites, but definitely a good game to introduce some new people to higher level strategic thinking that you'd normally think of with a board game. You're looking for ways to improve your own Arboretum, but you also have to really be cognizant of, okay, well, what are they going for? What do I need to hold in my hand in order to prevent them from scoring? And then on another level, what do I need to hold in my hand in order to be able to score? So there's a lot of layers going on, and it's always fun to introduce that to new people and see who picks up on what aspects first because you kind of think okay well the playing cards is the most obvious but sometimes people will really surprise you and they'll take to the more strategic competitive aspects like a fish to water so that's a lot of fun yeah the one thing i will say is that it is very difficult to try to explain to someone who's never played it before that's true that's true there's definitely a little bit of a hump to get over in terms of saying okay well no you have to play these cards and then in order to score you have to hold these cards and there's kind of a mental block there sometimes but I find that if you kind of do a a practical demo, if you just lay out some sample cards and say, okay, well, if this is what I have here and this is what I have in my hand, that tends to get people to click. They say, oh, okay. And then you can play through a game and they start to get it. So... Yeah, and I think that it's it can be a lot of fun as as soon as people start getting it and don't feel like they're left behind. Right. That's yeah one of the issues that I think I was seeing with a few of the people who were there last night. We kind of had a lot of people, but because there were some people who'd been there before versus some people who hadn't, a lot of the people who had been there before really settled into their comfortable groups, whereas a lot of the newer people maybe felt a little bit left out. And you know, mm-hmm. some people tried to approach them, but it was also a little bit over overwhelming especially for people who haven't necessarily been involved in kind of the resurgence of board game culture they say oh you know i'm familiar with monopoly and scrabble and sorry and these are games with 10 20 page rule books and so it's tough to see and i know anytime you have a sort of public gaming situation like that or at a game store you really want to go out of your way to make sure that everyone's comfortable i agree i agree for sure well, another game that I was playing last night, a game that I got and actually played a few rounds with my roommate before, is Tides of Madness. Ah, right. Tides of Time meets Cthulhu. Yes, exactly. I think that this iteration of the game is amazing. I honestly think that it's even better than the original Tides of Time, which I th- thought was a great game in general. So Tides of Madness adds a little bit of a little extra twist of having to not just take the best cards possible because the best cards might have the madness symbols which you can only get up to nine madness and if you go nine or above you are you automatically lose oh wow so it's not even like you lose points over time it's just you're just gone wow so you have to actually calculate that see how much and the other person can also play you in that they know how much madness you have and how much madness you have on the board and you're like right at the right threshold and then they just throw you the last card which is adds another madness and you're and you're done Right. And there are other cards that let you take madness from other people and things like that for in exchange for good abilities. And in general, it really adds another aspect, and it is a lot of fun. I think last night when I played a game with uh, one of our friends, we got to the final score of 74 to 73. Wow, that's a pretty high-scoring game for a Tides. Yeah, exactly. 
and he beat me by one point, and it, ah. it was really close, and it's a really fun game. One of the other games that we've had a chance to play, actually not at Gamers, but here with your roommate, and mm-hmm. one that we've both been really excited about and wanting to jump into is called Time Stories. Um, yes. And it's really like half board game, half RPG. And I know that's kind of what we said about Above and Below last night with some of the role-playing story-building elements, but this is really custom-built to be exactly that. We play as temporal agents Mm -hmm. who are sent back in time to various scenarios. So by default, the base game comes with its built-in scenario, but then there are also expansion packs that you can buy that send you to different time periods, different locations, even alternate universes. And then once we arrive, we inhabit the bodies of people who live there and try to solve mysteries, try to take care of whatever it is that's threatening the time stream. So that was a tremendously complicated game we compared it multiple times to like playing a Mm -hmm. a board game version of a choose your own adventure novel a board game version of an rpg really that's all there is to it because a point and click adventure like those of the lucas arts type you know back in the 90s if you were to make that into a board game this is the game right right some of that classic golden age point and click adventure stuff so that was a lot of fun unfortunately because the scenario is so specific i can't describe it in too much detail because it's full of spoilers but suffice to say we had a blast and more than that we got a mental workout i think there was one particular puzzle where we probably spent 15 to 20 minutes i think puzzling through it and then when we finally got the solution we were like oh my god that was staring us straight in the face the whole time and it said that on the card it did it did so in retrospect (laughs) a little bit embarrassing but we got there so that was an exciting one and hopefully we can do a review of that some point down the road after we've played a couple other scenarios and figured out how to talk about it without you know spoiling everything so exactly so that's what we've been playing this week Another week has come by and there's a lot of really cool games out there that have just come out or are on Kickstarter this week. The first one that I want to talk about is Tiny Epic Galaxies Beyond the Black. This is on Kickstarter, an expansion to the very popular Tiny Epic Galaxies. It's one of my favorite games actually, so look forward to the review on that, especially once this comes out. This is made by Gameland Games and it adds to the base game of Tiny Epic Galaxies the ability to upgrade ships, get pilots, and a brand new mechanic of exploring. So now the ships that you can have is up to four different types of ships and each of them can be piloted by a different pilot and you can send them to explore the beyond the black space. And what that does is that lets you find new resources, dwarf planets, new life, but also there are risks involved, which means that you might be able to stumble upon a black hole or other such anomaly. They also add more planets and secret missions to the game. So pretty much just extends the gameplay a little bit, though they do say that the time stays the same. So I think that this is going to be a really interesting expansion, and if you like Tiny Epic Galaxies, it is definitely a must-have. The next thing that I wanted to say was that a few things have been going on with Portal games. So first off, they've expanded Germany, so if we have any listeners in Germany, they have just recently opened a warehouse there, I believe. There's an office, everything, office manager from what they've been saying, and the games are now going to be sold directly in Germany and in German. 
The next thing that I wanted to say was that Robinson Crusoe, one of my favorite games of all time, is coming out with a new version and there's going to be at least new cover art, which they have shown. I'm still trying to figure out what the other differences are. I don't think there are going to be too many, but I'm very curious to see whether or not this is going to work with expansions or any other things that you've purchased for Robinson Crusoe in the past. I will definitely keep you guys updated on that as I find out more. The last thing is an unfortunate part of the update, which is that the first Martian's Adventures on the Red Planet, Robinson Crusoe on Mars, has been delayed. It was slated to be shown and pretty much released around the holiday season, supposed to be at Essen, but it seems that uh, Ignacy says that the game isn't ready yet, and I'm inclined to agree with his opinion. I haven't seen all too much of the game yet, but it seems like it might need a little bit more time. But I'm really looking forward to when that actually comes out. Next is something a little bit for the uh, Firefly fans out there. So Legendary Encounters Firefly has recently come out. I believe it was announced at Gen Con as well. I recently saw it at Labyrinth. And this is one of the Legendary Encounters games. So you may have heard of Legendary Encounters Alien, Legendary Encounters Predator, and other such games. And this is just going on in the same kind of vein. It's a cooperative deck building game by Upper Deck Games. I really think it looks like a lot of fun. It looks like you're using the actual like Firefly crew and that they're always out, they're always helping and all that kind of thing. So for anyone who's a fan of cooperative deck builders and especially the Legendary Encounters games, or if you're just a fan of Firefly, I think that this game has way more than enough theme for you guys to check out. Last game that I want to talk about is the Dragon and Flagon. This is a game that came out from Stronghold Games just this other week. And with this game, it's pretty much a tavern brawl. So if your characters in D&D or anything like that have ever been in a tavern brawl, this is pretty much the personification of it. They have 3D furniture, they have like tables, wooden chairs, and things like that. And you can pretty much play it as a party game. The point of the game is to get the sip of the dragon's ale or something like that. That's the best ale ever and supposed to give you supernatural powers as an adventure. There's only one of those left. So everyone is fighting for it. Now, everyone can do a lot of different fun things, things like throwing chairs, mugs, swing on chandeliers, any kind of tomfoolery you can think of in a tavern is pretty much available in this game. The really cool part, I think, is the 3D part, the way that it looks. It looks amazing, and I can't wait to get my hands on it and actually try it out. I don't think it's a dexterity game. I think it's more of a placement game, but... It's definitely a party game of some sort. I haven't really gotten a chance to check it out all too much because it just came out, but I would completely suggest taking a look at uh, the game if it's at your local gaming store. Now let's take a step back in time and discuss Evolution and Evolution Flight. With a name like Evolution, it's pretty easy to tell what the game's going to be about. But Greg, why don't you walk us through the concepts? It is definitely pretty easy to tell what it's going to be about. Essentially, you are sort of this omnipotent overlord controlling various species as they evolve. You can apply traits to them, you can control their population, you can control their body size, with the ultimate goal of 
getting the most food. You want to be the species that survives the longest. You want to be the species that has the most of itself in the world. Exactly. And then the flight expansion, as the name suggests, adds flight, which was not a trait that was available in the past. It's true. The base game, they really kept it simple. They kept it terrestrial. And I think that was a smart move because with flight, it adds a whole extra dimension and it adds a lot of complexity that we're going to get into. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about how the game works. So the game is based on a turn and each turn you have a few things that you can do. You start with getting cards. The cards, when they're dealt out, you get three cards plus one card for every species that you control. So normally at the beginning of the game, everyone gets four cards because they, everyone starts with one single species. And as the game progresses, you can go and get up to three, four, maybe even five species. I don't think I've ever seen that, though. That seems like it would get out of hand pretty quickly. It's a bit of a, a big investment. Possibly if you have maybe a two-player game or something like that, that could happen. But I don't think I've ever played this game with only two people. I think it works a lot better with more. I would agree. But you start with getting the cards. After you get the cards, you have the phase where you choose the food card. All of your cards, so all the trade cards, all the event cards, everything like that, have a small symbol in the bottom that tells you how much food was going to be added to the watering hole. Everyone chooses one of those, places it face down, and no one gets to see those until after the next phase. So the next phase is the traits or play cards phase, as it's called. And the way that that works is that you take your trait, your different cards, and you can play them in this in this turn. The different cards are mostly made up of traits. Traits are the different things that you can add to your species, things like hard shell, which makes your species act like it's a lot larger than it actually is in terms of predators, so it makes it more impervious to predators. There are traits like long neck, which lets you get food from a different area than the regular feeding phase. There are other traits like good eyesight, which lets you, as a carnivore, see something that's camouflaged, another trait, as well as being able to get food before other animals from the watering hole itself. So all these traits, you can play them on your creatures and you can have up to three different traits on every single creature. These traits are pretty much how you define the survivability of that creature. Right, and given the, you know, kind of the spontaneous nature of evolution, there's a really fluid aspect to this. There's probably a, a couple of dozen different traits that you can choose from and you can pretty much go back and forth on them at will. You can discard traits from your species at any time during the play traits phase. Mm -hmm. You can replace them with other things. So you really have to adapt to your situation. You can lead with an early game strategy that's all focused on drawing food from alternate sources. And then maybe in the late game, as you get more species under your belt, you can pick up those traits like warning call, which signals to species to the left and the right of whichever species has it, that a predator is coming and makes them impervious to attack, or cooperation, which causes them to share food when one of them takes it. So there's kind of, appropriately, an evolution to the gameplay as well as to the species. And on the other side of the coin, from cooperation, you have the carnivores, which is actually a trait. So by default, any species that you get, whether it's terrestrial or flying, is going to be a non-carnivore. They don't say herbivore because there are ways for that creature to take meat food, such mm -hmm. as with the trait scavenger, which allows you to feed whenever a predator attacks. Yes. But 
but then as soon as you play the carnivore trait on something, you can no longer eat plant food, so you can't take from the watering hole mm-hmm. or from the cliff, but you can attack other species. Yes. And that allows you to get food from alternate sources. So like we mentioned, when that play food phase comes mm-hmm. in, some of those cards have very low numbers, and some of them even have negative. So it's possible to enter a feeding phase with zero food in the watering hole. And so if you're not a carnivore, you're going to starve. Exactly. So there's a lot of workaround involved in that. Yes, exactly. And this brings us to another thing that you can do with your cards, which is changing your body size as well as your population. Right. This is something that you can do with your cards. So instead of laying down a trait to add it to your species, you can just send it straight to the discard pile in order to either increase your body size or your population by one. Population, that's really the key driver of score. Whenever you take food, whether you're a carnivore, whether you're an herbivore, you can only take food up to your maximum population. And then at the end of that round, all that food goes into your little baggie and that becomes your score at the end of the game. So you want to get that population as high as possible. You want to keep it as high as possible. Now, the thing that's preventing you from doing that is carnivores eating you. So in order to deter them, you increase your body size. Like Jacob mentioned, there's a trait called hard shell that increases your effective body size. Mm -hmm. And the core mechanic of carnivores is that they can only attack a creature of lesser body size than them. So if you have a body size of six, which is the max, that means you're impervious to carnivores, excepting a very few specific traits. So from a carnivore perspective, body size is extremely important offensively. From an herbivore's perspective, it's extremely important defensively. Exactly. You can also use your cards to get new species. So this is still during the play cards phase. You can discard one card to get a terrestrial species or the new the flight expansion added the fact that you can discard two cards to get a flying species right and flying species do have a few other additional special rules their maximum body size is three instead of six i mean Mm. makes sense you never see any enormous birds unless they're grounded anyway exactly and then there are also some special rules related to feeding after the play traits phase comes the feeding phase where you flip up the cards that were laid down in phase two you put however much food is called for in the watering hole and then in turn order people feed one of their species so or they don't feed one of their species they feed take one food from the food bank at a time that's true that's true they feed once so some of your traits can increase the amount of food that you're going to take at a time other traits allow you to take food from alternate sources but really what it is is you're fighting over scarce resources yes so when you have a flyer one of the key advantages in flying is that you can take from an alternate source called the cliff rather than from the watering hole and Mm -hmm. food from the cliff is put in at the beginning of the feeding phase not based on any cards but simply based on the number of players it kind of gives you a safeguard if the watering hole runs out you and anyone else who has flying species can take from the cliff as a last resort exactly and it's just another source of food that the flying creatures can take that the terrestrial creatures cannot and so that is the feeding phase after everyone has taken food or there's no more food left in the watering hole we go right back to the beginning to the draw phase now there are a few cards uh, that were added in with the flight expansion 
They're both new traits, a lot of them just for birds, but a lot of them are also used for both. Right. One of the things that I've noticed about this game is that it tends to be very difficult to be a carnivore, and maybe that's intentional, you know? I'm not a biologist, but I imagine that being a carnivore and hunting other species is a lot more difficult than just finding a plant and munching them. You really have a lot of work that's involved in being a carnivore. A lot of herbivores can have defensive traits like climbing or camouflage or even flying Mm -hmm. that allows them to evade you and be unable to be attacked. A lot of herbivores have defensive traits like hard shell, defensive herding, which requires that you be not only larger body size than them, but also larger population. Yes. So it's very difficult to be a carnivore. And actually, that's one of the things that I do like about the flight expansion is that they added sharp teeth. They added pounce, which Mm -hmm. is an event card, which allows you to negate one of the traits on a, a creature that you're attacking. If a creature had defensive herding and they were of a smaller body size than you, but they had a larger population, you could negate defensive herding and still attack that creature. And event cards themselves are brand new addition in Evolution Flight. And these are cards like we just mentioned, Pounce. There's also Last Stand, which is something that is pretty much stick it to the carnivore again. And what this does is instead of your creature losing a population, the carnivore loses population. It's not really clear to see whether or not the carnivore is supposed to get food still or not. The card can be a little bit interpreted both ways. There could definitely be some errata on that card. But then there are also other events like the invasive species, which allows a species to increase population whenever another species is attacked. Right. Or a dive bomb, which allows you... If you're a flyer, to take food before the feeding phase or to attack another creature free of essentially penalties. Exactly. Those cards can be very useful, and there are a lot of them in the deck. You'll almost never have a turn without at least one event card coming up in your hand, which is pretty useful. Though the caveat to that is that they cannot be used in order to increase body size, increase population, or anything like that. That's true, that's true. They definitely, compared to the base game, the events introduced in Flight add a lot more of a quick, reactive component to the game. Because formerly, if you felt threatened by a carnivore, or if you wanted to become a carnivore and take advantage of a small body size, high population herbivore... Mm -hmm your really only recourse was to do that during the play traits phase. But with the additions of things like Last Stand, with the additions of things like Pounce, it really gives you an opportunity to react spontaneously and Mm -hmm. turn those into a lot of quick advantages. Exactly. And one thing that I did notice about the game itself is there are a lot of different levels to this game in the way that you can strategize about it. One of the things that I did see is that the turn order really matters. When you're doing the playing traits uh, phase, it does go in turn order. So you can see what the people, not exact exact traits, but if someone else, like you're planning on attacking one of the herbivores or becoming a carnivore in order to attack that herbivore, they just increase their body size by three. You're now not going to go carnivore to attack them. So there's that. But then someone who thinks that you might be coming uh, carnivore and they're after you, they can see what you're doing and like, oh, they're doing something that's very much signals that, that they're becoming a carnivore or they're going to do something else and react to that. So there's that reactive aspect as well. Right. And there's definitely pros and cons to each turn order because the earlier you are, the sooner you get to feed. So the likelier it is that you're going to be able to sustain your entire population. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, 
it does leave you operating with less information in terms of putting down your traits, increasing your body size, and knowing how to react to what other people are going to do that round. So exactly. it's a definite trade-off. Yes, and so it can definitely help or hurt people depending on the size. That's just about everything for evolution, I believe, right? I think so. Flight, as an expansion, introduces a lot of new balance issues to the mm -hmm. game, I think is something that we've both agreed on in looking at it. We really feel like flyers have a definitive advantage. There are certain drawbacks to them. They cost two cards in order to create a new flying species instead of one. Mm -hmm. And there are also special rules with feeding. You have to take food equal to your body size yes. before you can start taking food equal to your population. And that food for your body size isn't scored at the end of the game. But really, compared to the advantages that you can get, especially in terms of the cliff, and especially in terms of the event cards, so for example, I think I mentioned Dive Bomb. Mm -hmm. There's a special trait card called Brood Parasite, which just yeah. gives you the opportunity to grow in population for free mm -hmm. at the beginning of every feeding phase. There's a lot of really powerful cards for flyers mm -hmm. and not a lot of corresponding increases in power or countermeasures for terrestrial species. So in that sense, it very much punishes you if you decide not to invest in flyers, which is something that everyone can do, but at the same time, it just rankles me a little bit that the expansion that they've created doesn't close off certain strategies, but does mean that certain strategies are almost objectively better than the others. Exactly, and I've seen that in the games that I've played with Evolution Flight so far. What would you rank this game? You know, I was really leaning towards a buy it. I think the core game is probably a buy it, but if we're looking at Evolution plus Evolution Flight as a package, I am going to go with play it. Like I said, those balance issues really make it a drag. If you're the one who owns it and you know them and you're introducing it to your new friends, they're not necessarily going to have access to all the strategies that you have. And again, that could be said of any game, but I think it's really institutionalized with Evolution Flight. So final word, it's a play it from me. I will echo that. I will also say play it, especially because of the flight expansion. The balance issues that it introduces really bug me in a, in a way. I can't use a lot of strategies that were very successful in the base game. Not only that, but you also just, you have to have a flying creature in order to be successful. All the games that I've played so far, that's been the case. The other thing that I get a little bit annoyed with this game is the uh, just how random the trait cards and everything else are. There are a lot of cards and there's a lot of each card, so you, you have a chance to get everything. But the way that it's done and just being able to get that chance to use a, a specific timing event is very difficult. So like, if you know that if you change to a carnivore at this turn, they, you will be good because you see like what the, everyone else is doing, but you don't draw a carnivore, you're, you're out of luck. Exactly. There's a lot of luck involved, and there's a lot of strategy as well, but it's really, it comes down to what do you draw and what's the best you can do with it. Exactly. I guess it might be something just to say about evolution. Thank you for joining us for our review of Evolution and Evolution Flight. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and our review of Evolution and Evolution Flight. Just as another reminder, this week is WashingCon. Get hype! Exactly. We're, we're really excited. We're going to be there. There's going to be some really cool panels with amazing game designers. We'll be running one of those panels about the futures of the game design and all that. We really hope that you join us. Tickets are still on sale. It is this Saturday, 
September 10th and Sunday, September 11th. One ticket for both days. It is in Georgetown in Washington, D.C. So if you're in the area, we highly recommend joining us and coming to WashingtonCon, meeting us, and playing a lot of really cool games. We'd love to meet you too. We're going to have shirts. We're going to have giveaways. It's going to be a blast. Exactly. We really hope to see you there and that you will join us next time for our recap of WashingtonCon.